This morning, I don't know if you realize, but I've, I've actually been preaching a series through the last few while, and, and this morning is the end of the series, and the name of my message this morning is called The End of Me, and um, we've been looking at things like, where does strength come from? Is weakness really weakness? Or is it that when we lean on God, it actually becomes incredible strength? And, and kind of going through a little bits and pieces of the, of the Beatitudes, basically, hunger and thirst, and you'll be filled, and all those sorts of things. But, you know, I've, I mentioned the last couple of weeks, I keep on making the statement that when we come to the end of me, we come to the beginning of God. And, and so I really wanted to explain that to you this morning, if that's okay with you. And I really believe it's a significant word for us as a church and for us as individuals. And uh, I'm going to try and work my way through it and, and use some of my illustrations that I felt God gave me. So pray for me that it doesn't turn to custard. All right? Hey, I don't know about you, but can anybody remember, uh, did your parents do really cool stuff for you when you were little for your birthdays? Does anybody have parents that did incredible creative things for you? All those that didn't have parents that did creative things for you, are you okay? Do you need counselling? When I was five, I was really into pirates. And uh, so my dad decided that for my fifth birthday, we'd have a pirate treasure hunt birthday. And it's one of the best birthdays I had because I think it's about the only one that dad really got excited about and put some real effort in. But he, he, he hid treasure in our backyard and, um, and then he had clues and different things and he had to go around looking for treasure and trying to find this, you know, oh, my hearties, and um, going around. And I can just remember at five years of age just how much fun it was and how exciting it was uh, running around trying to find this treasure that my dad had buried and and in the end when we found it it was it was inside one of his toolboxes buried and it was the you know, the, the chocolate money you know um with you know it looks like treasure but it's actually chocolate and uh but hey everybody loves chocolate so that's not a bad thing to find but in thinking about that and in thinking about looking for the treasure and hunting for the treasure i think that it's such an example for us to understand that I believe this, that I think that I've learned in life that the best stuff is actually always buried. The best stuff in life for you and I is always buried. It's, it's never on the surface. It never jumps up right in front of your face. For example, you know, I love my beautiful wife. I have an incredibly, uh, I'm very lucky to have a, a phenomenal marriage. And, and, a, and just, but you know, it didn't just happen by just turning up on, on your wedding day, it happens because you work together and you search each other out and you discover the treasure in each other. It's the greatest things in life are usually the things that are buried that you can't see. And so you have to go after these things and you have to figure out where to dig, you know, because if you dig in the wrong spot, you might get a bad reaction. And then, then when you find your treasure, you want to lay claim to it. You want to, you want to say, Hey, that's mine. That's, that's something I've got. And, and Paul kind of addresses this in, Colossians chapter 3 verse 3 where he says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's, it's an interesting thing here. He says, For you died, but you're not dead. He's not talking about physical death. He says, For you died and now your life is hidden in Christ and God. And I think some of us, we come through the salvation experience where, where we invite Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior, but then I don't think we really realize that it's the, the treasures of this life, the treasures 
that you and I are looking for, the great life that God promises us in John 10, 10, that you may have life and life more abundantly, is hidden in Christ. We've got to go searching for it. It's like a treasure hunt. Some of the things that make our life incredibly cool is hidden in some weird ways. And so basically Paul here is saying, if you want to live life, if you want to live life, then you have to die first. If you want to live life, you have to die first. It's a bit of a weird concept for us, you see, because what Paul is trying to say here is that at the end of you is where life begins. At the end of me, when I die to me, life begins. And and Jesus says that once I've died, that I can truly live. That's what the scripture teaches us. Is it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. That's It's like once I die to me, then all of a sudden I'm living this life, this abundant life. And, and it's really weird because the Bible teaches that death is life, whereas the world teaches that life is life. But God says that when you died, your life is now hidden in Christ. This incredible life that... God has promised you is now hidden in him, but it requires you dying to yourself first. Let me, let me put it this way in Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 to 14. It says, this is Jesus talking to his disciples and he says, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So Jesus is kind of giving the disciples and he's giving you and I a clue. He's saying, you want to enter in through the narrow gate, but but not too many people find it because it's not pretty and it's quite small. And so most people miss it. They usually walk past it because they just don't recognize it because it's a narrow gate. It's not a pretty gate. It's not the big, wide, smooth path that everybody else is going on. It's It's a troubled path. It's a path that has tough things that you've got to get through. It's a tough, tough path to walk on this narrow path and it's seldom walked on by many people because because it's a tough path to walk on. Why? Because this narrow path crosses through death but leads you to life. The wide path leads walks through life but leads to death. But Jesus said the narrow path that I want you to take causes you to walk through a death that leads to life. See, the wide path, you live life however you want, but in the end, you end up in hell because of your life away from God. But God says, if you walk the narrow path with me through your normal life and dying to yourself, denying yourself, dealing with you and your, your, what you want and your desires and, and getting them in line with my desires, then as we walk through that death to self, you'll find life in me. It's a tough, tough piece of scripture really for you to get your head around because how can crossing through death lead to life? Of all the upside down teachings of Jesus, this would have to be the biggest, yes? That he says, die and you live. Live and you die. It's like the first shall be last and the last shall be first. I don't know about you, but in my house, the first always gets first helpings. See, doesn't it wait till last. It's like, you know, when, when the chocolate comes out, it's first in, first served in our house. It's not last in, first served. It's like last in, oh, well, no chocolate. 
And so Jesus teaches us some really upside down things, doesn't he? And it's hard for us to get our heads around. One of the great fathers of our faith, Bonhoeffer, said this, when Christ calls someone, he bids them to come and die. It's nice, isn't it? When God calls someone, he says, hey, come over here and die. When he calls you, Jesus urges us to die, but he doesn't He doesn't urge us to die a physical death. It's not about you dying physically. It's about you dying to yourselves, dying to what you want and your desires. And I'm going to show you soon how good an idea that is. There's two different paths, he says. There's the narrow and the difficult, and it's marked with death, but it leads to life. And then there's the other path, which is broad. It's crowded. It's marked with life, but friend, it always leads to death. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 24 to 25. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Come on, pick it up this morning. Must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Forever, who wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. It's another one of God's kind of complicated things. He says, if you won't deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me, then you're going to lose your life. But if you lose your life for my purposes, then you'll find it. I've noticed something about dead people. Maybe you have too. Dead people really don't care what you think about them. Dead people aren't really concerned about what clothes they're wearing. I think some people are dead when they turn up to the supermarket in their pajamas because they obviously don't care what people think of them. But dead people don't care what people have to say about them, don't care very much for what others think of them. They're not consumed with how nice their clothes are. And Jesus is speaking of dying to ourselves, and this is what he's talking about. He's talking about dying to worrying about what everybody thinks about you and what you think about you and what the world thinks about you. To be dead to all the stuff the world has and the things that the world of the world is dead to us. He's basically saying, hey, I, I need to... I need to help you reorganize to rework what you think is important and what you think is not important. You need to change your thinking. That's why the Bible says this, that you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yes, you give your life to Christ and you find salvation, but transformation comes from you adopting his mind and not being conformed to the patterns of this world, but understanding the way that he thinks. And Jesus says, if you won't deny yourself, and pick up your cross and follow me, then you're not fit for the kingdom. And so we have to, we have to decide what we're going to do because you can't reconcile the kingdom of this world with the kingdom of God. The two don't work. They clash repeatedly. Everything about scripture clashes with what the world values. The world values how big your car is and how nice your house is. But God values what your heart's like. See, the world looks on the outside, but God looks at your heart. That's why you can go to somewhere like Fiji, and they have very little, and I think they're better off than you and I are because they're so happy. Because it's not about what they have, it's about who they are. They they realize that relationship and friendship and family is more important than a six-bedroom house with three bathrooms and an in-ground swimming pool. I'm not saying that those things are bad. I'm just saying if you're going to pursue those things and you're going to go after those things 
and that's all you're thinking about? I've just seen too many people sacrifice their families to have a nice house. And really, the difference between an $800,000 house and a million-dollar house is nothing. It's not going to make your life any better. It's not going to make your kids follow Christ any more than what they already do. You see, the journey to the end of me requires a completely different way of looking at the world. It's not natural to walk this way, and it certainly isn't easy. But we have to decide if we're going to live for ourselves or we're going to die to ourselves. That's the choice that we have to make because to get to the end of you requires a death that gets to the beginning of God. And I think we live in a time in our world, especially in the church, where I think we live a little too much for ourselves and not enough for him. Jesus said, if you're going to find him, if you're going to find the real life, then you've got to enter by the narrow escape. You've got to walk the toughest path and you've got to carry the cross on which you're prepared to die. And then he says this, if you do all of that sincerely, do all of that following the steps of Jesus, the craziest thing will happen to you. The most outrageous thing will happen to you. You will actually find the one true life. See, when I was a teenager and people used to preach this sort of stuff about carrying your cross around, I always, I always saw the cross as a bit of a burden. I always saw it as something that, that I didn't really want people to see because if I walked around like this all day, people would think I'm weird, wouldn't they? If you walked around carrying a physical cross the whole time, and, and this isn't even a cross because I can tell you now, if, if I tried to put myself up on this, it wouldn't last very long, yeah? And I used to see the cross as something to be ashamed of. I used to see the cross as something that I don't really want to be part of my life. So I would kind of like, especially when I was a teenager, is I, I would, after church on Sunday, park it up in the garage, tell it to enjoy its week, and I'll pick you up next Sunday. I know it's gone quiet in the room right now because a lot of you live this way. You see... The reason why we like to park the cross up is because if we carry it around with us everywhere, we can't necessarily get into all the places we want to get into. Like the party at school where everybody's getting drunk. Can't really turn up with a cross because everybody would say, what the heck is that? Or the nightclub. I can't really, don't think there's really too many People on the door, security in a nightclub, they say, yeah, mate, come on in with your cross. Looks awesome. They'd be like, leave that outside if you want to come in here. You see, I used to think the cross was something that stole joy from me, but now I realize that the cross is something that saves death from me. <laughs> because when I was a teenager, I used to park my cross up and go to the party on Saturday night and get drunk and do all sorts of stupid things that I completely and totally regret. Well, now I realize if I carried my cross with me, I wouldn't have done all of that stuff. It would have saved me from it. It would have saved me from the regret. It would have saved me from the mistakes. It would have saved me from counseling. 
It would have saved me from relationships that I never should have had in the first place. See, the cross is not a burden. The cross is a safety net. Because if the cross can't go where you're going, then you have to make a choice, don't you? Are you going to deny yourself? Or are you going to put it down and just do what you want? Are you going to die to you? Or are you going to let life kill you? What are you going to do? Because the Bible says that if you don't pick up your cross, if you don't deny yourself, then you're not fit for the kingdom. And it's the toughest piece of Scripture to get our heads around because we're asking, God is asking us to deny ourselves. And we all, whether we like it or not, we all have selfish desires and selfish things that we want to do, don't we? Let's be honest. Be completely honest with ourselves. When I get home sometimes from work, I don't want to help out. I don't want to. Ha- I want to sit on the couch, on the lazy boy, probably fall asleep before the news to have Trinity wake me up to say, "Honey, I've made you a three-course meal. Would you like me to bring it to you?" While the children wave fans over my face, and and Madison feeds me my drink as required. I don't. I don't want to help. I don't want to do those things. I don't want to. I don't want to get up early on a Sunday at five thirty this morning and pray. It's it's not a. It's, my physical body doesn't go. Woo-hoo! I don't want to do that. My physical body says you, you don't fight. Get up at six thirty. An hour less praying won't make any difference because Rima needs plenty, and it's an hour is not going to make a difference. It's just a joke. I don't want to. I, I don't want to get up and pray. I, I don't want to increase my giving and put it in the offering bucket. Everything in my physical body says, don't do that. You're meant to be saving to build a house, moron. How are you going to do that when you're giving all the money to the kingdom? How's that going to work? You're an idiot. It's like, I don't, I don't want, my physical body says, don't do it. My, my, my fleshly nature says, don't do it. But the Bible says, if I can't deny myself, if I can't deny myself and pick up my cross and go, actually, I don't care what you say. The kingdom is more important. The kingdom of God's house is more important than my house. Because the kingdom of God's house is where people find salvation. It's where people find healing. It's where marriages are restored. It's where the pedophile finds help. It's where the rapist finds forgiveness. The house of God is more important than my house. And if I look after his house, then everything that's in his house flows into my house. Because what you sow is what you reap. And so if I pour my life into his house, he pours his life into my house. And so I get up at 5.30 in the morning and pray. And you've got to understand, I don't pray well. I'm not one of, I'm not, I'm not like Catherine Heineke or Catherine Nicklin and they can go away and pray. Catherine just tutted then when I said that. And they go away and, you know, like somebody told me once, oh, you know, um, Catherine Kuhlman, when she was around, we'd go and pray for six hours straight. I'm like, six minutes straight, I'm awesome, man. And then the brain starts going, I wonder what the All Blacks score was. I could watch the highlights, it's only five minutes, and then come back to prayer. I mean, I am so distracted, I'm the worst person. It takes a lot of work for me to get praying. I don't want to. And there's a whole lot of things that your body wants to do 
But friend, if, if, unless you deny yourself, let's face it, the world we live in today is the way it is because people don't deny themselves. We have sexual abuse today because people don't deny themselves. We have incest because people don't deny themselves. Rape because people don't deny themselves. Murder because people don't deny themselves. It's really hard to walk into places that you shouldn't be in when you're carrying your cross. The cross will actually save you. And one of the most striking examples to me that Jesus gives of the end of me, what an end of me life looks like. What an end of me life looks like has to be in John 13 when he washes the disciples' feet. John tells us in that chapter that Jesus already knew that Judas had already made a plan to betray Jesus, to sell him out to the men that wanted Jesus dead. Yet in John 13 verse 3, it says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus understood who he was. He understood that he was God. He understood his divine identity. He knew who he was. He knew he was God and he knew all the power of heaven and earth was at his command. He knew who he was. He had no problem knowing who he was. He could have called all of heaven's angels to come at a minute if he wanted to. But understanding all of this, understanding all of his power, understanding all of his rights as God, he allowed himself to be betrayed. He allowed himself to be taken. He allowed himself to be mocked. He allowed himself to be beaten and whipped and to be given a false trial and a crucifixion. Even though his status was the highest, God, creator of the world, universe, the God that holds everything together, even though he had the highest status, he took the lowest road, the most humble posture, and he began to wash the feet of a man who had arranged his death. And so I need a little volunteer here who's got nice clean feet. Come on, Rima, I trust you. Just get up there and take your shoes off and I'll be with you in a moment. I want you to understand something. I'm going to read this piece of scripture and then I'm going to show you what it actually looked like. first thing you need to understand is that the job of washing somebody's feet was not the master's job. It was a slave's job. Slaves washed feet. All right, and I want you to hear the scripture and then I'm going to show you because you need to understand some things. It says in verse 4, it says, so he got up. We just read about who he was. We just read the fact that he knew he was God, that he was master of the universe. And then it says, and so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So you need to hold, hold this for me, remember? Because I'm going to be... But I want you to understand something. Just bring that on there. Is that it says that he took off his outer garment, so he takes off his robe. Here's a rabbi. 
Here's a rabbi, and the rabbi wore robes. And the robes had in the stitching around the, the hem of them had the scripture all stitched into the hem. He took his robe off and he picked up a towel. I don't think you're understanding something. He took off who he was. He took off his rights. He took off his kingship and laid aside and he picked up a towel instead and then he, hope you're not ticklish. and stuff, all the dirt off his feet as he had walked around, you know, with sandals and dirty places and goodness knows what else because they used to just tip out their number twos onto the road and all sorts of things. And so he's just cleaning it and then he's taking the towel and he's getting them to put their foot on his knee is where that would go and then he's gently jying their feet. This is the this is the king of heaven. This is the, the God who's in charge of all things, the man in charge of the universe. And not that Rimmer is Judas, but here he is, the man who's about to betray him, the man who's about to hand him over to those that hate him, then they crucify him. And he just treats Judas the same way he treats all the other disciples. Just picks up the towel, cleans his feet. Because he understood something. He understood that there's a narrow gate. And that narrow gate is a choice that you and I make every single day of our lives. The problem with dying to ourselves is that it's a daily occurrence. You can't just do it once. It's every day. Every day dying to you. Every day dying to what you want. Dying daily. I hate that I have to make this choice over and over again because it doesn't feel any easier the next day than it was the previous day. It doesn't seem to feel any easier in a month's time as of what it did the month earlier. Because not only must I serve the people I love and admire and those that can make my life easier, but dying to myself also means serving those that I don't really like or understand and even those that have hurt me. To die to self means that I serve them. I mean, how can I serve a lazy husband or, or a wife that never says an encouraging word or a child bent on rebellion? How do I serve a coworker who talks behind my back or the rude guy across the street or the idiot on the motorway that nearly killed me the other day? How do I serve those people? Well, it takes you dying to yourself. And if Jesus can wash the feet of Judas then it's time for me and it's time for you to come to the end of ourselves and follow his example. Jesus hung on the cross and he interceded before God for the men who crucified him. And as he bled and slowly suffocated, he asked God to forgive them, his executioners, for they didn't know what they were really doing. Jesus, at the end of his ministry, at the end of his earthly life, at the end of himself, 
but he knew that he was at the beginning of something that changed everything because he understood that at the end of him, at the end of death, at the end of his suffering, at the end of his sacrifice comes the beginning of resurrection. And we want a resurrection life that I may know him and his power and the power of his resurrection. But Paul says, but I may also know the fellowship of his sufferings. Friend, unless we can deny ourselves, unless we can let ourselves die, unless we're going to get to the end of us, we're never going to discover that life, that resurrection power. In order to serve those, it's hardest to serve. You've got to die to yourself. And then you'll find this incredibly surprising thing takes place. A transformation takes place of blessing as you forgive those that have hurt you. And then all of a sudden, as you do this, you, you, you escape this miserable grip on your life. It releases you from your self-imposed prison sentence where you're just so confined because of what people have done to you. Jesus washed the feet and at the very moment, when anybody would have been okay with him being caught up in himself and his own problems. Jesus was about to be betrayed, killed, hung on a cross. Anybody had a right in that moment not to serve, to go away and have some quiet time to himself. But I want to tell you something, when life isn't going well, most of us, we want to put our pajamas on, don't we? Put our pajamas on, sit on the couch, put our feet up, bowl of potato chips, Coke Zero, Whitaker's chocolate, remote control. My life isn't going too well. in our bathrobe, in our dressing gown. Netflix it is. You spend half an hour trying to find something to watch on Netflix and then half an hour trying to find something to decide there's nothing to watch. Sitting there, self-absorbed. Comfort food. Can I say this to you this morning? I say this to myself, self-absorption absorption is a poor medicine. Just living self-absorbed is a poor medicine. It's not going to help you. Just consuming yourself on yourself will not help you. Tough times don't feel natural to serving others, but it's amazing how healing it is to serve someone else when you're going through a tough time. It's amazing when you start to serve someone else and you realize Maybe life isn't that bad after all. Jesus did exactly that. Instead of pampering himself, he pampered others in his moment of need. The healthiest thing you can do in rugged waters is serve somebody else. Jesus teaches us to deny ourselves, to, to die to ourselves. But that doesn't mean it ever becomes easy. It doesn't mean that you're going to wake up one morning and it's going to be really easy for you. Each day, you have to climb out of bed to a beginning, a new day, that you're still human with all of your issues. I don't know about you, but the old Craig gets out of bed with me. And I have to put on Christ as an act of will. I have to, 
I have to put it on over and over again because some days I don't want to help people. Some days I want to just help myself. Some days I just want to stay home and not come into the office. Some days I don't want to do counselling sessions. Some days I just want to go to the movies and eat popcorn. But John 13, 14 says, this is Jesus speaking to them after he's washed their feet and he says this, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. The verb in there, in the Greek, when it indicates about washing, it's not an event, but an ongoing, continual thing. Jesus isn't saying to the disciples, now that I've done this exercise, you guys can copy me and do the same exercise. No, no, no. Jesus isn't saying that. Jesus is saying from now on. From now on, from this moment on, from this time onwards, you wash people's feet. You do what I've done. From this day onwards, not, not as a one-off, but as a continual thing. You do this, you serve. You take the place of a slave and you serve. The end of themselves, they thought, because they were arguing before this time, before he washed their feet, they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest, who was going to be the leader, who was going to be in charge. And, and, and at the end of themselves, what they didn't realize is at the end of themselves, it's all about the towel. At the end of you, it's all about the towel. It's about what you're going to do with the towel. It's not about, it's not about your position. It's not about the robes that you wear. It's not about what you are. It's about the service and the encouragement and the blessings that you are to other. That's where the death to you comes and the life comes because you start seeing the lights come on in other people's lives. And as you start serving them and helping them and you start to see God coming alive on the inside of them, that's where life comes to you. There's nothing more beautiful than I've ever experienced before than sitting in a room talking with somebody who's going through a dark time and then God speaks to them and the lights come on and they realize that God's for them and that he's not against them and they can get through this and God is with them and all of a sudden you know what joy it brings to their lives it brings the same amount of joy to my life and then I leave they leave the office and I get up and I'm like man I love this job yet before they turned up I wanted to quit why because when you serve somebody else you start to see God come alive on the inside of them it's not about the position friend it's what are you going to do with the towel what are you going to do with the towel the paradox, of course, is that Jesus said is that death leads away to life. That, that in death it leads away to life. And here's the thing. It's like, well, how does, it, how does that work, Craig? How does that, oh, I'd love to give you five simple steps on how to go from death to life, but I can't give you those. But what I can do is say this, and I want you to hear this really, really clearly. You can only learn what it means by doing what it demands. You can only learn what dying to yourself means by doing what it demands. The towel. The serving. Not sitting in church on Sunday. That's a good thing. But sitting in church on Sunday and serving. Being on a host team. Helping out in kids zone. Helping out in Ignite. 
Being on security on a Friday night for elements so that our young people are safe. Friend, you can only learn what it looks like by doing what it demands. You're not going to find life any other way than by denying yourself and serving and encouraging and laying down your life for others. You see, when I come to the end of me, when I deny myself, I begin to feel free from the struggle expressed by the disciples about position and quarreling about who's the best and where do I fit in life and what's my significance. All that goes when we understand that we're here to serve. I'm freed from the tyranny and the loneliness of self, our self-absorption. I've died to that, and now I can live for Christ. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 26. He said, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? In other words, he's saying this, if you actually catch what you're chasing, what's actually going to happen if you actually catch what you're chasing? What if you get that ultimate mansion that you'll be looking for? What if you get the corner office that you so desperately needed? What if you get the limited edition Mercedes? What if the buried treasure is in an empty box? What if you realize you've lost your soul somewhere in your relentless pace to get all this stuff that doesn't matter? The term we live in this life, the Bible says it's but fleeting. It's but a moment that we live here on earth. But what we do here on earth sets us up for our eternity. And I'm not saying don't go for careers. I'm not saying don't have nice stuff. I'm just saying don't let it have you. Because when you get to heaven, how much money you have in your bank account makes nothing for your eternity. Are you hearing me this morning? I know it's not a nice message this morning, but it's the message of the gospel that if you can't pick up your cross and deny yourself, you're not fit. Dying to myself and reaching the enemy means a daily decision and a daily demonstration. Not just a decision, but a demonstration. A daily of picking up the towel and a daily demonstration of laying down my life, of, of denying myself of what I want to help somebody else. It's daily. Not just a decision, but also an action. Denying ourselves, or as I think the Bible puts it this way, denying ourselves could be said another way, loving others. Loving others is an occasional option. It's not something we get to do when we feel like it. Because God doesn't operate that way. It's not like God turns around and says, I feel like loving Pete today, so I'm going to love him, but tomorrow I can't be bothered. It just doesn't work that way in the kingdom. When we deny ourselves, we can learn to love people every day. It's not an occasional option, it's a way of life that casts its influence over every single day of our lives. It's God's way, this whole thing of serving people, of picking up the towel, of picking up our cross and denying ourselves and following him. It's God's only purpose and only way that he ushers his kingdom into lives. He ushers his kingdom in as we serve people, as we get alongside our neighbors and we love on them and we sacrifice for them. We usher the kingdom into their family. We usher the kingdom in house by house, face to face, person by person, moment by moment. It's a daily dying. It's a daily dying to ourselves. 
And every time I come to the end of me, I always discover what it is that I've been really searching for. That life, that fulfillment, that God kind of life that when you see the smile on the face and a breakthrough in somebody else's world. I believe for us as a church, if we are going to enter into the things that God wants us to do, we have to get away from serving ourselves. We have to get away from the self-absorption. We have to get away from only picking up our cross on a Sunday. We need to be carrying it every single day, denying ourselves, allowing it to help us because the cross will stop you from going into situations that you don't want to go into. To doing things that you don't want to do. It's a protection thing. It's not a joy killer. It's a joy giver. I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly, but the way to life is in a death to yourself. We don't really preach many messages like this because they're not the nice ones. We want the nice ones, like in the scripture, it says, no matter how far I fall, God is always underneath me. And that's true and it's great. But the reality is, friend, if we're going to follow him, if we're going to be true disciples, if we're going to make an impact in our community, we're not going to do it by being selfish. We can only do it by denying ourselves. Jesus denied himself, came from heaven, denied himself, laid down his life. Why? The Bible says, for the joy set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? You and me. He endured the cross because he just wanted to be with you. He wanted a relationship with you. Dying to himself was a easy, not an easy thing for him to do because he cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane, if, if there's any other way this can be done, can you please do it some other way, God, but not my will, yours be done. If this is the only way, then I'll do it. But it says, for the joy. In other words, he looked beyond the death. He looked beyond the pain. He looked beyond the denying. He looked beyond the sacrifice. And he could see you and he could see me and he could see your family, and he could see what you were going to do with your life. And he said, for that, that's worth it. That's worth it. And if we could just close our eyes just for a moment here this morning, I'd just ask you just to look for a moment and say, if you, if you, if you could see your whole family saved, what would that mean to you? If you could see your best friends come to Christ, what would that mean to you? If you could see your next door neighbors and your community come to Christ, what would that mean to you? What, what would you do to see that? What price would you be prepared to pay to pay it? What, what, what pain would you go through to see that to happen? Because the Bible says, if you pick up your cross and you, and you deny yourself and you follow me, then the Bible says that nobody gives up anything that he does not repay 60, 80, or 100 fold. No one gives up homes that he does not repay. No one gives up this that he does not repay. That the Lord is a, is a rewarder of those who, who, who diligently seek him. He's going to give you, if you ask for something, he's going to give it to you, but it requires a death to walk in resurrection life. 